Because no race has the last word on culture and on civilization. They do not know what we are capable of. They do not know what we are thinking. They are thinking in terms of dreadnoughts, battleships, aeroplanes, submarines. You know what we are thinking about? That is our own private business. You are listening to The Brown CEO. You are listening to The Brown CEO. I'm your host, Selma Idris. Follow the conversation every week as I speak to some of the dopest minds from around the planet about what's broken and how we're going to fix it. This is The Conversation Between Us, every Tuesday. Yalla, let's go. Hello and welcome to The Brown CEO. I'm your host, Selma Idris. The first black woman elected to Congress in 1968, Shirley Chisholm, once said, The Constitution, they wrote, was designed to protect the rights of white male citizens. As there were no black founding fathers, there were no founding mothers. A great pity on both counts. It is not too late to complete the work they left undone. Today, here, we should start to do so. The midterm elections were a today. Motivated by the 2016 election of Donald Trump, America saw more women running than any other time in history. A wave of unprecedented firsts, a wave of folks who said, "Uh uh-uh, oh no, stood up tall and said, I am going to fix it. On our agenda today is a conversation with filmmaker, director and producer, Melanie Williams-Orm. We're going to talk about her latest project, a documentary film she directed titled Run Like a Girl, an in-depth look at the unprecedented number of women running for office in 2018 following the political campaigns of these women and into their makeup and motivations, concepts, and challenges that fuel their campaigns. Welcome, Melanie. Thanks. So happy to have you. Happy to have you here. And I want to say Run Like a Girl is G-U-R-L for all of those because we have listeners um, to... to, um, to be able to look it up and find it and find information about it. And I'm very excited to have you here today because of what is happening right now. And I wanted to talk to you about personally, what ins- what personally inspired you to document this moment in time? I've always been a political junkie. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that came from my dad. I can remember uh, he read several papers every day and he listened to news radio and he was always really aware about what was happening and was really active. My mom was as well, but my dad was super active. And I think that was a way that we connected. Connect. Some people connect through sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, we connected through politics about uh, issues of the day that were important and my views and why I thought what I thought and the need to defend those views and what was I willing to do to stand up for those views. And so that's kind of where my interest in politics began. Mm-hmm. This uh, documentary for me is personal. I started, I was a Hillary supporter from 2008 before it was cool. Maybe it was never cool. Okay. And for me, it was cool. So when the world or everyone was Barack, Barack, Barack. Mm -hmm. I was Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. I, she's always been someone that I've admired. She's always been someone that I've looked up to. Uh, I think that she has impeccable integrity. She's smart. 
She knows her own mind. She's not afraid to speak it. And she was absolutely qualified, I believed, and still believe, mm-hmm. uh, to be president of the United States. Now, once uh, Barack Obama became the nominee, then I did what I always do. I got on board because mm-hmm. that's what you do. So I canvassed and phone banked and did all the things that I needed to do in order to make sure that he got elected, not just once, but twice. But when it was her turn and it was time for her to run, I became even more personally invested. I, I mean, it, it, it was super personal for me. So what I did was I wasn't in a position where I could just quit my job and just go work for Hillary full time. Mm -hmm. So what I ended up doing was becoming a campaign fellow in the Westchester office. So what does that mean? (laughs) It means that I worked for free for 20 hours a week in the beginning. But as the campaign progressed... I was working sometimes 40, sometimes 60 hours a week for free. I was doing things like organizing the canvassing trips that we did from New York to Pennsylvania. I was um, helping out with the um, with the office in terms of managing the phone banks there. Mm-hmm. I was doing satellite phone banks uh, in other places in Westchester, like in Mount Vernon and um, other parts of... Um, of Westchester. Mm-hmm. I organized letter writing campaigns. Uh, we had this thing where, and it had worked really well for Obama, and we were sort of piggy banking on that, where women would write personal letters to individual voters mm-hmm. in North Carolina and talk about why they were voting for Hillary and why they thought it was important to vote for Hillary. And I was encouraging my friends, uh, my family. My family was pretty much already on board. I mean, most of my family was pretty much Hillary from 08. But, and then eventually Obama, but initially uh, Hillary from 08. Okay. Uh, and encouraging my friends to come and volunteer and posting and just really doing everything that I possibly could. I, In the beginning, I was taking trips, canvassing trips on the weekends. But as I got more involved with the office, um, the campaign organizer who there sort of wanted me around. And so I was organizing the canvassing trips, but I wasn't actually taking them okay. to to Pennsylvania, mostly to Philly. Um, towards the end, we started to go places outside of Philly, but mostly Philly and the surrounds. Um, there's, I know you said you saw the uh, the eight-minute clip. Yes, I got to see the teaser today okay. um, for the doc. Yep. So at the beginning of that clip is a shot of Hillary coming off the plane. Mm-hmm. And that shot happens on Election Day 2016. She's coming into Westchester Airport. And I was one of the organizers that put together that group of people that you see <laughs> that are, are welcoming her. And I think... And, you know, it was a crazy night. Like, we thought she was going to be there at midnight, and then we thought she was going to be there at 11, and then it was 1, and then it was 2. So we didn't want to go wide with it, but we were texting people and calling people on the phone. And it was really exciting because I think that all of us really believed that we were witnessing history. And I haven't really – I've never really had that feeling before. Like, we were going to be able to say that we saw – the future president of the United States on the day that she was elected. I mean, there was just that sort of, so it didn't matter. And there were people there that had kids that were three and kids that were five. And it was a school night, but they didn't care. And it was cold. You know, it was bitter cold. It was fine. There was just a palpability. There was an excitement. And so 
when she lost, mm-hmm. it was like someone died for me in a way. And I think I really had to start to, I'm a woman of faith. I believe that I'm here for a purpose. I believe that I believe in Christ. I believe that he's created me to do certain things. And it really shook me because I tried to figure out, tried to reckon where we were with my faith and why that happened. And I started to think like, what is it about her that allowed what happened to happen? Right. Mm -hmm. And I guess I didn't understand the polarization, really. I didn't, I mean, I kind of had some idea because I'm a black woman and I live in the United States, but I I don't think I had the depth of understanding about what it is to be a woman and be in politics or to be even in any position really of power in that way. I didn't realize the bias was that deep because when you look at it on paper, right, you have everyone from Barack Obama to... Joe Biden to everyone saying that she's the most qualified person ever to run for president. But still, there was something mm-hmm. that kept people from running. Uh, statistics afterward, you know, black women, of course, did their thing and they voted for Hillary in an overwhelming numbers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. White women, on the other hand, 53% of them, which is a majority, right, are voting for Trump. So I'm trying to figure out, well, what is that? And so instead of this, like, you know, you have this sort of like someone died and you have this period of mourning and then you get active and you're like, okay, I'm here in this reality now. What is it that I can do to change the way that I feel? And that's where this film came from because I wanted to make something that wasn't, I mean, I'm a Democrat, but I wanted to make something that was not from the blue perspective. I wanted to talk to blue people and red people and purple people and people that didn't know whether they were blue or red because that's the only way that we're going to be able to get to the next level. We can't just bunker down in our little blue cocoon, Mm -hmm. you know, where everyone thinks the same way and feels the same way and moves the same way because when we're not paying attention to people who perhaps don't share our views that's when the missteps come in. Or and that's when you get blindsided and you're confident in planning an, an, an arrival of a future president and she doesn't win. No. And sounds like you had you were blindsided. Oh, completely. Like, yeah, I mean, I think... like a truck. Oh, hit me like, <laughs> I mean, it hit me like a truck because in my brain, the, there was no way. I, I guess I have to figure out like what kind of person, especially a woman, mm-hmm. knowing everything that we know about the current president, would vote for that person. Yeah. So, yeah. because I feel like, yeah, there's racial issues too, because of course there's the whole birtherism, but for Hillary, that's not a thing. She's a white woman, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a real resistance to women. And yeah, we're talking about a 70,000 vote differential over three states, really, right? There's Wisconsin, there's uh, Michigan, there's Pennsylvania, right? If those three states had gone differently... We would be in a different thing. And I think yes, there's yeah. I think there's a really different planet. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a hubris though that comes from being in the cocoon and mm-hmm. thinking that you own the right perspective or that your perspective makes sense and there's no reason why someone wouldn't come along with you. And so this film is really an opportunity for me to look at other people's perspectives or different types of perspectives and put them together in a way 
that tells a story about who we are as women and why we choose the things that we choose. When in this timeline did you decide that you were going to make this film? I decided to make this film probably, I mean, I had kicked it around in the fall of 2017. Okay, so you mourned for about like a year? Yeah. Okay. It was about a year. Of mourning. I mean, different stages of mourning, like uh-huh. between like Christmas, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, it was like <laughs> crazy, you know, like, you know, my husband and I went to Block Island for Thanksgiving and he's like, we're on this beautiful island. It's like, you're crying every day. Um, I love you, but we need to do something different. <laughs> we got to fix this. We got to fix it. Fix this, babe. Yeah. You know, um, I think the... I went to the Women's March. I got together with, I I said to a neighbor that I really wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And I think probably every woman has the story. She's like, oh, I know someone that's organizing a bus. Wait, she lives around the corner. Okay, great. (laughs) So that's how I got on my bus. I went with people that I didn't know. I didn't take any buddies with me. But there was a solidarity, you know, that was just... Electric. I can I can remember stopping at the Delaware rest stop mm-hmm. on 95, and there were all these buses, and pretty much everybody at that rest stop was heading to DC. Wow. And so there was just like this power. You know, it didn't matter that I didn't bring any friends with me. I had all these women, and there were a couple of men on the bus too. I'm not saying there weren't, but there they were it's overwhelming. I would say 95% on the bus were women. Um you know, they were so welcoming and because a lot of them knew each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were so encouraging and we were just determined to make a point, like to say, you know what? No, it's not okay. It's not okay that you said the things that you said. It's not okay that you live the way that you live. It's not yeah, okay that you even treat live the women way you live. Yeah. the way that you do. And it's not okay that other people co-signed on that. You know, and so I think that was really exciting for me. But it's like at that point, I was still like, even though it's excitement, it's like, okay, now what happens next? You know, mm-hmm. and then you do like some other things like, you know, I've worked on some local campaigns, not at the same level that I was working on the Hillary campaign. But it's just, you know, and you have connections with women that I have connections with women that I met through working on the Hillary campaign. And those friendships will be lifelong friendships. And you know, there were all these movements that you said, movements that came out of it. Um, you know, there was a group that was formed by some friends of mine called Up to Us. Mm-hmm. That's out of Westchester. And it was sort of like an in- indivisible splinter, you know, like okay. it started as indivisible and then it became sort of Up to Us. And, um, you know, they used to call themselves Friends of Hillary, mm-hmm. but obviously that, you know, so they were kind of in, indivisible before indivisible was indivisible. And for those that don't know, indivisible, they give um, like a, a politically a political awareness and, and information to the public and like how to vote. Right. You know, how to, you know, talk to your Congress people, right. how to demand what you want and be right. heard. How basically. to organize. How to organize. How to, yeah. how to organize effectively. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, sometimes I think people get frustrated and mm-hmm. they don't want to be involved and they think, oh, politics, it's not that big of a deal. But it really does 
affect every aspect of your life. It is your life. Yeah. I mean, that's how you, I, that, the policies that, that, that are formed are whether you're allowed to hold a drink in your hand while you walk up the street, whether you're going to get stopped for a ticket if you cross diagonally, how many lights are in your neighborhood up to... Does trash get collected? Does trash get collected? Do, does your town recycle? Are you contributing to pollution or not pollution, you know? Everything. So it's your schools. Like people often think it's, oh, that's the president. Who cares? It's like it comes down to every level. Um, and I think that, that the awareness is important. But I actually do kind of relish a time like this when people are kind of shaken into action. Um, and to see what kind of people actually say, you know what, let me go do something about this. Um, and the folks that continue to sit by the sidelines. But it, it's important to document this stuff and, and, and encourage the folks that might be scared to jump into action um, and just keep them aware, you know, right. and informed. Um, so timeline, we were at, we went to the women's rally, you came back, you organized a little bit, and then in 2017, you started putting your team together? Yeah, we started putting our team, started talking to some people, but... You know, it, it takes a while to sort of get things gelling. And then by spring of 2018, it became apparent that this was like a thing that we needed to do. Uh, I have a producing partner, somebody that I went to college with, who's a really dear friend, Andrea Hamilton. And mm -hmm. I basically went to her and said, hey, I have this great idea for a movie. I would love for you to come on board. And she said yes. <laughs> it was and she's in film as well. She's in film too. She's a she's a producer. Mm -hmm. So on this project she is the producer and i'm directing i mean i do some producing she helped you know but she's the producer as it were so you know a lot of it then it went at a very fast pace you know it was about who are the people that we want to talk to because we didn't want to just do another not that they're not great um mm -hmm. we didn't want to do just another uh follow women on the campaign trail film mm -hmm. so we really wanted to tell it from two different perspectives we wanted to tell it from women who were running, but we also wanted to tell it from just everyday women who were on the sidelines. So we created this uh, Run Like a Girl confessional booth, okay. and we invited women in to talk to us about their ideas, not so much about which candidates they supported or why, but really about what made them decide to get active. Were they active in the 2018 midterms? why were they active, what motivated them, what issues were motivating them. And as we started to tell the story, what we realized is we were dealing with not just the story of the 2018 midterms, but game changers, right? Mm. People who, I mean, and it sort of parallels nicely with the idea behind your show, right? They saw something was broken and they decided to fix it. Whether they decided that was, I'm going to be the next congresswoman from district X, mm -hmm. or whether that was, I'm part of this local group and we're tired of this issue. Maybe it's healthcare, um, you know, not being addressed and we're going to organize around this issue. This is broken in our community and the only way for us to fix it is for us to fix it ourselves. Yep. So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at game changers who are not satisfied with status quo and really want to change it and want to change the diversity and change the voices and change the perspective and not just to disrupt. I know like disrupt is like a cool kind mm -hmm. of thing. Like let's mm -hmm. disrupt. I'm not really a disruptor. I feel like 
I want to change, you know? So that's why I like the idea of game changers because they're not, yes, are they disrupting? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a paradigm shift? Yes, yep. clearly. But they're paradigm shifting towards something, not just blowing it up because yeah. it's- More of an evolution rather than a complete like deconstruction. or yeah. Correct. Yep. Yep. No, it's great. And one word that you used, which I think is really interesting, is diversity because- you know, we're talking women as a blanket, but when you look at the fabrics of that quilt, we're seeing, you know, Latinas, we're seeing naturalized Africans. Like that's the first African ever in Congress. Yes. Um, you have the youngest, um, the youngest ever. Right. It's not even just youngest woman, right. but it's youngest AOC, ever. Right. Yeah, an AOC. Um, and when you say game changers, that alone, the fact that communities are having voices and being represented. Think about Minnesota. Like, everyone knows that there's tons of East Africans in Minnesota. And for her to actually hold office there and be a representative is huge. So, yeah, it's a huge paradigm shift already. Already. Um, but it's a battle because these are not permanent appointments. No. And I think that's what our film has sort of uh, evolved into because... It's not just about a moment in 2018. It's mm-hmm. about a movement, and that movement is continuing with the setup for 2020. And we feel like these game changers, these paradigm shifts are still happening. And so the third act of our film is really looking at women who uh, have been affected by the paradigm shift and what that means for them. Do you think that America is now ready? for a woman president? I, I, don't, I don't know the perspective. I think the question, I challenge the question because I don't think I that, that people yeah, yeah. are ever ready for, for change, re, for real change. And if we wait until they're ready, then we just keep waiting. Yeah. I mean, we're only like a few months in, mm-hmm. right? And already you can sort of see the disparities, right? So when people talk about Elizabeth Warren, whether mm-hmm. you like her or not, she is very detailed in her approach to the issues. She has, you have an issue, she's got a plan for it. And that's like part of her thing. And not just like a 20 second soundbite. She's got detailed plans about how she's going to tackle each issue. But when she's displayed by the media, she's wonky. You know, she's thoughtful. Yeah. She's not fun. You know, she doesn't get the cover, cover of Vanity Fair, you know. When you look at someone like Beto, who did an amazing thing in Texas, I'm not underrating Beto. I don't even know what will happen, and perhaps he becomes, I don't, you know, who knows. But he gets the cover of Vanity Fair yeah, because just the handsome man. Right. Yeah. He's the handsome man. He's the next calling of the uh, Camelot. He's the Kennedy guy from Texas. When you press him on issues, he has some answers, but he's no way near as detailed. But that seemed as boyishly charming. And there's still this real misconception, I think, that the person who needs to be in power or needs to be the president needs to be something that you can have a shandy with. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would love to have a shandy with the president. I think most people would like to be in that position, but that's not my qualification for whether or not that person is qualified Mm -hmm. or ready to be in the position that is, well, arguably one of the most powerful people on the planet. Yeah. That's kind of changing how America, at least recently, has been voting, though, 
which is interesting because it's, it's going to have to change the whole psyche behind it. I mean, George Bush was the second one was elected because he was the president you wanted to have a beer with. Right. Um, then, I mean, Barack has grace. Like, you can't deny that. You can't deny that all women everywhere and men wanted to hang out with Barack. Um, I think maybe, and maybe going back to Hillary a little bit, a lot of the reasons why she did lose is because of that unrelatability or even people disliked her. Um, whether it be set up or whether it be personal experiences with her. And I mean, you know, as a sister from New York and from the area, people disliked Hillary. And I mean, that's why she lost. You can't say she lost because of her resume. Um, so in a climate like that, what, how do you help the public to go back to thinking about what we really need from a qualification aspect or is 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 appealability but like you know you might have to be related maybe that's part of the qualification like when you're looking for a ceo you want charisma i i think uh i think i well i mean there's so many so much to unpack with that i think as somebody who is obviously an avid hillary supporter the unlikability thing really mind boggled me I think she's unlikable because she dared to be different. Do you know? She said, okay, I want to be in the White House and I'm going to be the first lady, but I want to change what that role means. I don't want an office in the East Wing where I'm just dealing with, not that's not important, um, China patterns for state dinners and coming up with the first lady campaign that they kind of roll out to keep her in the public eye. I want to be involved in real policy decisions. I want to make a change. I want to run for Senate and I'm still the first lady. I want to be secretary of state because I believe I have enough experience and knowledge. So I, I don't know, but I think on the other hand, there's that hubris thing that we were talking about, right? I don't know that you can go from zero to a hundred. So if we understand that likability is part of it, I think it's hubris to think I don't have to deal with that as long as I keep talking about the issues and show people that I'm prepared. But I feel like, and that's what we're trying to get at too with the film, is like there's a duality for women. And I think that's true in politics. I think that's true in teachers' jobs. I think that's true in firefighters' jobs. I mean, pick any job where a woman, you know, is, and there's going to be a duality. So I think... Unfortunately, for a while, you know, women have to walk and chew gum. You know, what does that mean? I think you have to be prepared. Mm -hmm. You have to be strong. But you also have to cultivate a following or a, uh, you know, your squad. Yeah. You know, and your I have your hive. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I look at someone like Nancy Pelosi. Mm -hmm. I mean, she is a dynamo. Yeah. I mean, she is yeah. so smart and so capable and so powerful. And, you know, I laugh. Like, you know, in 2018, people were like, I'm running on the fact that on day one, I'm going to, you know, uh, if I get in, I'm not going to vote for Nancy as Speaker of the House. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I can remember like the day after the 2018 election, she was walking, uh, into Capitol Hill and somebody on MSNBC, because uh, 
caught her and said, you know, stuck a microphone in her face and said, do you think you will be the next Speaker of the House? And she said, yes. And she didn't stop. It wasn't even like a thing. She has confidence. She has knowledge. And she understands how to read the room. Mm -hmm. I mean, she has a caucus that is as diverse as the United States, Mm -hmm. you know, especially with this onslaught of new women and different voices that we're hearing about. And that's great. And she embraces that instead of bucking against it. Mm -hmm. She she understands that. And she understands that what works for somebody in like a blue district like AOC is not going to work for somebody like a Mickey Sherrill who's out of Jersey, you know? And she understands that the balance of power that she has is based on those people like Mickey Sherrill who won, who were, who are blue, but won in districts that eventually, that previously had gone red. Mm -hmm. And so she understands how to deal with that. Do you know? But I yeah. mean, I, I just think so. I think maybe she's the model for the future. Yeah. Do you know? And even yeah. and, and I was even angered because, I mean, I heard rumors. I don't even know if it's true that in order to broker the peace that she needed in order to get the votes that she needed to become speaker, mm-hmm. she had to sort of acquiesce to a term limit. You know, tip. I don't know if that's true, hmm. but Tip O'Neill never talked about, hmm. you know, term limits. You know what I mean? Wow. Just, I think, you know, not term yeah. limit in terms of being, you know, a a congresswoman, yeah, but in but terms of being, being speaker, right? Yeah. And I think there's something, and I think too, there's what she does really well is she embraces new ideas because there's a lot of young people yeah. and a lot of first timers, and they have a lot of ideas. But she understands how the system works, so she doesn't totally squash the new ideas. But she's good about shepherding younger people who want to listen and want to be involved. And giving them enough leadership so they don't feel, you know, uh, out, not heard or not, yeah. heard or or not, spoken, not, over. not spoken over or not respected. Yeah. But she still understands how to move the agenda forward. So for me, Nancy Pelosi is the, is model. the model. She's the model. Yeah. Like, we need to follow her lead because she's a boss. Yeah. I mean, there really is no other way to say I mean, she is a boss. Yeah. No, it's 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 definitely important to have those qualities in somebody that's moving forward. In anybody, whether Nancy was a man or Nancy was a woman, as far as a politician is concerned. Um, but I think she's more remarkable because, because she is a woman, mm-hmm. because she's been in the game for so long. So in order for her to get to where she is, she's been... I mean, now there's more women in Congress than ever. Okay. But when Nancy Pelosi started, she was one of a handful of people. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So the idea that she could, I don't think we can discount the fact that she is a woman because she did it in spite of being a woman. Like, not like being a woman gave her extra or made her um, more qualified, Mm -hmm. but she was able to be Speaker of the House not once, but twice in spite of being a woman. She's in a boy's game, and I'm going to say that. She's in a a game that is dominated by boys. We can change that. (laughs) But right now, that is dominated by boys. We can change that. Yeah. (laughs) But right now she's in a game that's dominated by people, and she's winning. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. It's very remarkable. Yeah. Um, diversity in the women's movement. And I feel that that, that divide continues to happen. Um, and I think that we women as a whole should look at kind of those areas because I think that 
white women often exist in this cocoon that they're like, women, we're all together, right? Inclusion in everyone's needs um, and everyone's struggle, uh, everyone needs to be heard. And I don't think that I'm the only person that thinks that. I don't know. Nobody else is here. Like it's anything, but like I do think that it is something that needs to be addressed. Do you run into that at all? I do. I, I mean, I I I do sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think. Did you feel it during Hillary? That did you know people of color that were like, I just after the I, hot sauce in the bag comment after the none of that. I mean, I knew people that were. How should I say? Barack loyalists. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that is the right word, but you know, I get you. I, I mean, I think you know, I had people that went on, you know, social media and was like, you know, lamenting about the horrible choices and uh, couldn't we just give Barack a third term? But I think that those people. I mean, you said that you knew that he was going to win. I don't think these people realized what they were doing. And I think... The people voting for... Well, they were just not... I mean, I don't... Because white I women... Think, I mean, that's yeah. who did this. Yeah. White that's women, who did I this. Mean, that's that's who, who elected Trump. I, that's the thing. I, I do think that is the case. And I think... But I mean, so... I don't know. There's two different issues. I feel like there was... I mean, like, okay, so I'll, I'll give you an anecdote, right? Okay. So in, I live in Harlem. Mm -hmm. And uh, I vote every time. Like, if they're voting for something minor, I'm there. If they're voting for something big, I'm there. I'm just, if the polls are open, I'm going. That's dope. So, because that's my right and that's my privilege and that's how I make a change. I mean, that's like the and minor. And responsibility. And that's my responsibility. That's, that's so if yeah. I don't like the way things are and I'm not voting, then that's a problem. So... And this is something that I started with my father. We would and go. And I feel like that I, that I kid, divide vote, continues I would always go with him before school to, um, to the polls. And, that was and I think the that like the thing we, women as like a whole the should look at kind and of close those the curtain areas because I, I think go that with him behind the curtain white women often thing. exist in this so cocoon that they're like, women, we're all together, I go right? first thing in the morning. Like, I like to get there 6, 6.15, 6.30 is late. Yeah. So in 2008, my husband and I, we get up, like, because that's our thing. We go to the polls together early. And we're there by 6.20. The line is around the corner. I said to Bob, wow, there's a chance that he could really win this thing. Mm. Because if this type of enthusiasm is out here for him in 2008 and it's around the corner, I've never had to wait online at my polling yeah. place. It just doesn't happen. So that's an amazing thing. I, have, I did not see that in 2012. I certainly did not see that in 2016. So I think you have to look at two things. I think, yes, there are some black women that I know that are not, that feel alienated in some way from the women's movement. I don't know that, I, I don't know. I think I consider myself a feminist. I guess it's taken me a long time to say that. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Like it shouldn't mm -hmm. be something that I was ashamed of, but I, if someone had asked me 10 years ago, I don't think I would have said that, but I guess I really am a feminist. I'm sort of embracing that now and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But I say this, if there's, and it's fine to feel that way, but then we have to have, but you do, we don't make a change by saying, I'm just going to sit this out mm -hmm. or I'm just not going to get involved. So 
I voted um, for Hillary. I, no, no. I, I have friends that voted yeah, for Hillary. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. had to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is in terms of the the the, the alienation that people are feeling, yeah. I think the only way to do that is to have honest dialogues. But that would require, and that's not just black women, that's Latina women. Mm-hmm. That's because I noticed that there's, you know, black women have a thing sometimes with white women. Sometimes we have a thing with Latinas. Latinas have something with blacks. White people have something with black. I mean, you know, different women. It's not just a black thing where the black people are not getting along. But I feel like the only way to really change things is to step outside of your cocoon, right? So if the only people that you know in your life are black, and that's fine. That's that's totally, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I know a lot of black people and most, a lot of people are, you know, I'm black. But I feel like you can't have honest conversations with people that you're just meeting for the first time. So in order to change the alienation or to change the rift that exists between race or women of different races, you have to have honest conversations. And the only way to have honest conversations is to be willing to go deep with women who maybe are not like you, just like you. Mm-hmm. So are you taking that chance? Are you... Are you reaching out to women? And some women you're going to meet, and they're not every not every woman you meet is going to be your bestie, you know. And I'm not suggesting that's the case, but I feel like as long as we continue to live sort of in our isolated feedback worlds, and that could be me as a Hillary Democrat, that could be this person over here as a black woman, it could be this person over here as a white woman, or this person over here as a Latina woman, then we don't get together. And I think that's the game. You know what I mean? As long as people can keep the racial divides going, then we can't address the real issues. That's not to say the racial issues don't exist. I'm not saying that there's no such thing. There absolutely is. Mm -hmm. There's racial bias on many levels from different people. But I feel like we need to, in 2019, we need to kind of get beyond that. You know what I mean? And figure out, and no, you're not going to change the world, but you can start by having real relationships with People And I feel like that's part of it. I mean, we grew up in Greenberg, right? Yeah. And so for me, Greenberg is like this. And it started as an experiment, right? Yeah, the it ha- is. Actually, we should, talk, we should tell them about Greenberg, <laughs> yeah, which is, it so, is really, it's a mo- that's a moment in time. Right. So yeah. Greenberg is this multi-culti place. And it was designed that way. Mm-hmm. You had white people and black people who lived in and around White Plains, New York, who decided that they wanted to create a place where... There's like socioeconomic diversity, racial diversity, um, basically a a beautiful big sweep of a middle class. Right. Um, And it it was, yeah, it was like a, it was like a social experiment and we had the benefit of growing up within it. And it was a gorgeously diverse, I mean, we're not even Americans. We fell into it. You had folks from all over the Caribbean, all over the continent of Africa, all over South America, Americans from all over the country. Japanese, um, Koreans. Koreans, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Asians, we Puerto had, Ricans. Yeah, my neighbors were. The, you had Guyana on this side. You had you know Jamaica behind you. You had you know Italians from the Bronx across the street. Jews, Christians. Yeah, yeah our school was like probably like forty or fifty yeah. percent Jewish. Is you know Muslims. Yep. So and mm-hmm. everybody kind of just chilled and got along. You couldn't look at any that moment of time. In time is beautiful, and the interactions are important. Um, and we did talk from like a grassroots level as far as like, you know, your own personal responsibility is to interact with other people. Um, but 
my question is one, it's, it's while you were talking to, I was just like, it's such a weird question because it's such a big thing. Like, what is the women's movement? Like we say this thing and everybody's saying pink wave, women's movement, whatever. And it's just like, nobody called me yesterday and said, all right, <laughs> you get your pink boots on. I'm like, yeah, it's like it's time to start the movement. You know, meet me at four. Like right. none of this happens. So when it's like, you're talking, I'm like, that was a stupid question. Cause it's just like, what is this women's movement that I want to be included in? Like, there's no president of the women. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no woman president, actually. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, I have to bring that up And again. even like, if yeah. she was, she's not allowed to be president of the women. Right. Just like Barack isn't allowed to be president of the blacks. Right. Right? Correct. So um, for when, when you're talking, I'm like, yes, absolutely. We have to interact. We have to connect. And like the podcast is about fixing it, right? Mm -hmm. It's a fact. People didn't like Hillary. Black people really didn't like Hillary. Some black people. A lot of black people. Well, a lot of black people, but not, I, I, I take issue with that because 90% of black women voted for Hillary. But we voted for her because we're smart, responsible I citizens <laughs> fix things. Because when things are broken, black women show up to fix it. Yes. That's why we voted for Hillary. Yes. Because we were scared too. And we're not as complacent as everybody else because we get beat up every day. So it's really hard to be complacent. That's why we snap. That's why it's, hey, no, you're not doing that. But I would suggest that the Hillary, I really wish we'd get beyond Hillary, but. but I know, I, me too. I, I just want to, yeah, but I, I think do. that. We will. Uh, we will. Um, <laughs> I think that we, if we're being honest with ourselves and this fits with what we're talking about, the Hillary problem is not just about gender, it's about race. Because really what you're looking at is a backlash to those eight Barack Obama years, right? There is a segment of this population who has gained in strength and is no longer ashamed of expressing their hate speech openly, you know, when the president can say there's, you know, good on both sides, you know, when you're looking at someone who was killed by Klansmen, yeah, we're the in good a, we're, people we're, that are marching with tiki torches and correct. And There's hoods good on, on both yeah. sides. So yes, we're in a new era, and I think that we're naive if we don't. And I feel like I was naive, so maybe that's why I'm so vehement about it. We're naive if it's not just about Hillary; it's about the idea that these people are like enough is enough. Mm -hmm. We've had eight years of a black man in the White House, and now they want to give me a woman. I'm not having it. Yeah. You know, and then we have to also look at, and I think this is what, I mean, you say, what is the woman's movement? I think every woman has their own movement, you know? And I think a lot of it is about knowing your worth and being able to speak your truth. And so I think you have a lot of women, a lot of white women who for years, and I hate to say it, have had their truth caught up with who they marry how well their husband does, making sure that they fit in with whatever, you know, their husband is thinking. And that's, I feel like that's what leads to 53% of white women voting for him. I, refuse to, I just feel like I just. Like they told them what to do. Yes. And I feel yeah. like, and it's, it's like a part of their thing or they buy into it. Well, you know? are they back? Did we get them back so that they can focus on these next group of 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 game changers that we've elected here because it, I mean, it seems like now we're voting the right way, right? 
Well, I think that people... For AOC to get in at 29, or is it just their districts? Are we looking at such small contests? Okay, I mean, the AOC thing at 29, let's just, I mean, look, don't want to take anything away from her. I think she's amazing. But as Ms. Pelosi said, you could take that cop Mm -hmm. and run it in her district with a D next to her name and she would win. What's remarkable, and, 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 and Pelosi said that about herself, too. She said, in my district, it's the same thing. She oh, okay. Used, okay. She used her... Okay. She used her... Like, she Nancy's me. No, no, no. Nancy said, you, in my district or in her district, you could take a cop and run it with a D next to her name, and yeah. it would win. Because okay. they're in heavily... Now, what's remarkable about her is that she was able to upset someone who had been an incumbent in the primary. That's the okay. story. The story is that she... I mean... Was the vote turnout low? Absolutely. But was she able to mobilize through yeah. grassroots and organizing? take advantage of that opportunity. Right. She, yeah. t- she took advantage of the fact that people don't vote in the primaries and she organized her people to get there because you know what? The people that, the person that gets the most votes on the day of the election mm-hmm. wins. And that's the story. Think strategically. Yes. yes. She's thinking yeah. strategically because, and she has courage because somebody would say oh well this person that you're running against has been an incumbent for x amount of years there's no way that you can beat her the idea that or beat him i'm sorry Mm -hmm. she never said no and i think that's what makes her remarkable you know what i mean like now she's in a district just like nancy pelosi just like a bunch of other people where they're gonna vote i live in a district like that you know, basically, if the D is by your name, then you win. So the, the hard part is getting through the primary. Okay. And that's the remarkable part. That's what's remarkable about her is that she saw that there was an incumbent. She felt like there were issues that were not being addressed. And everybody that's ever done anything remarkable, when they do it, no one believes they can do it. Mm-hmm. And now everyone's like on the AOC bandwagon. They weren't necessarily thinking that she was so smart last summer when she was running against it's Joe Crowley, I believe. But, you know, running against him in the Bronx, no one thought that she could win. No one thought it was possible. She believed deep inside that she could and she kept going. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you look at women, you know, now it's like you're always going to vote your own self-interest. So if you realize that you set this 2016 out thinking that it was going to happen, you know, thinking that there's no way that Hillary could lose but you kind of just coasted. You weren't super excited, but you weren't, you just figured, oh, well, somebody else will take care of it. Now you realize, no, no one else will take care of it. And you know what? Your your reproductive rights are on the line. Your health care. I love the the fact that, you know, they lobbied to get, um, or they put pressure to get um, child care, the, to be able to use some of the campaign funds for child care. Yeah. It was such a nuance that I never thought yes. about, but I was like, absolutely. I mean, one of our characters is Louisa Gatchin Shirley, and she's another one. I mean, she ran against Peter King in Long Island. Peter King is a legend in the Republican Party. He's been there forever. She decided that she needed to, to run. But she had two little kids that were under five. When people came to her and said, what do you need to run? She's like, I need childcare. <laughs> Watch I these mean, kids real yeah, quick. I mean, right. Be right back. I mean, who's, who's watching these kids while yeah. I'm out at the, you know, ladies auxiliary luncheon and I'm over here at the lodge, Elks Lodge thing, and I'm over here canvassing at the train. Someone has to be like a mom to my kids. So that's when they decided to go ahead and... Um, 
you know, appeal to the FEC, the Federal Election Commission. Mm-hmm. And it was unanimous. Yeah. Unanimous. They but said- you know what? That's the important thing about representation that's different, right? Because that's just a blind spot for somebody else. Like, they might have not thought about it. There might have been a good guy out there who's just like, I never even thought about you needing child care. So th- that's why different voices are so important because you get all these little, mm-hmm. the boxes checked. And the great thing about her is, and we're going to talk about this in the film too, is that, mm-hmm. you know, she started this group called Vote Mama now, which is an, uh, a political action group that is geared towards helping moms run for office. Wow. So it's like, and that's what I think is, when you talk about a woman's movement, I think everything is a woman's movement. Like, what yeah. is the women's movement? I don't know. But to me, this is one stage, right? So Vote Mama became something personal. Like, I'm going to get the FEC to, you know, vote or to to, to change the rules for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, they changed the rules for me. Now I'm going to help other people change the rules for them. And that's how we change things, yeah. right? So... I don't know. I, I'm excited. <laughs> What's one of your best, your your favorite stories while you were making this uh, film? Wow. Well, okay. I think my favorite story came when I was in Texas, maybe four days, like the weekend before the election. And I, um, you know, at that point, my producer was working another daytime gig because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was kind of just on me. I had a wonderful associate producer who was on the ground with me in Texas, um, Rakita Irvin. Uh, but I lost my, I needed someone to shoot on election day in Texas. So I was shooting an election. I was an election day. I shot in three cities. Obviously, I'm only one person, so I can only be in one place. Yeah. So I was here in New York. I needed someone in New Mexico, which I got. I needed someone in Texas, and I needed that person in Texas to not only shoot with me um, on election day. I needed them to shoot with me on Sunday. So I was shooting in Texas on Saturday, and I had been working and working and working. And when I Saturday, I'm shooting. And I don't have anybody. And I had made a commitment to myself that I was only going to hire women DPs. Hmm. Only women DPs for this film because it's a story about women. It's run like a girl, you know, galvanized, unapologetic, real leaders. And I wanted to make a statement. I only wanted to shoot with women. So I'm in Texas. I'm shooting. I've got two different locations. I'm in between <laughs> shoots. I'm like working the phones. And I tapped into this amazing, and everyone was like, just hire a man, just hire a man, just hire a man, just hire a man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I, I, I'm not going to hire a man. I'm going to find a woman. And I'm not going to find a woman. I'm going to find the right woman. Mm-hmm. I just started working the phones in between my shoots. And I got tapped into this amazing network of women DPs who were in and around Texas. I mean, I have people calling me from California and texting me from overseas. And just because they, I talked to one person, talked to another person and they were excited about what I was doing and they couldn't help me because they weren't here, but they were trying to help me get. And eventually I got to that woman. Wow. I got to that woman and I got to that woman because other women said, you know what? I'm buying into what you're doing and I'm excited for you. And even though I can't help you, I'm going to try to help you get to where you need to get to. Mm. And that to me was really empowering, you know? Like that was the thing of it. It's beautiful. I did want to ask you, I want to talk a second about Kamala Harris. And I know I'm I'm talking a lot about, because in fixing it, you want to like kind of just 
bring folks together, like what we've been talking about. And you can't say it's, you know, you, you find your own movement, your own voice, but you, we have to come together and support one, support each other, that sisterhood, right? So interesting, Kamala Harris, we were talking about her earlier. And that's someone within our, within the, our community. There's a lot of debate on whether we want to support Kamala or not. And I think that's interesting that folks are really going after her record and really going after her, I think, harder than I've seen a lot of other candidates who are trying to say the right thing at the right time uh, are really getting attacked. Do you have any feelings about Kamala and what she's she's going through? And Yeah, I mean, I'm bewildered. I think Kamala absolutely is the right woman at the right time, has a lot of really strong ideas. Um. We live in a nation of laws, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. There is a criminal justice system in place. I would much rather have someone with integrity, someone with empathy, who is in the role of a prosecutor than someone that has no connection to the community, no empathy, and is really just going off of whatever bias they have or whatever uh, preconceived notion they have mm -hmm. about what it is that the people who come in front of them, who in a large cases, a lot of cases are black and brown. Yeah. Um, or legislating males. folks they've never met. Right. No, and, they can't see they, them. And they don't yeah. have any connection with. So I admire her. I think she she took some really bold stance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's always been against the death penalty. And even when it wasn't cool for her to say that, when she lived in a state that, uh, you know, um, where the death penalty was the law of the land for some crimes, she opted not to do those things, I think makes her heroic. Mm -hmm. And so I'm baffled by this idea, like the idea that you can't be a prosecutor and still be fair or that you can't be a prosecutor and be a people, a person of color, you know, be for the people is strange to me. And I mean, you started out this whole conversation talking about Shirley Chisholm. Mm -hmm. She has been intentional about patterning her campaign on Shirley Chisholm, using the same colors, using the same font, building off that legacy. That's not, you know, um, that, that's not a, a coincidence. She's totally being intentional about that. Yeah. She is totally being intentional intentional about her connection to Howard, where she went, which mm -hmm. is a predominantly African-American institution. I don't, I don't yeah. know, how, you know what your listeners... Don't worry, they're good. Yeah. They know. They know, okay. <laughs> they know H-U. They know, so, okay. Yeah. So um, she's being totally intentional about her connection to Alpha Kappa Alpha mm -hmm. Sorority Incorporated. And, you know, that's a funny story, too. I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And, uh, you know, even as someone who is a different sorority, I still am in, and not, I'm in, I'm in awe of what she's able to, what she's been able to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And I, the criticism of her is bizarre to me. I think, again, I think we would be naive if we didn't think that some of that sexism that exists in the uh, larger community, mm -hmm. the wider community, you know, we have to look at ourselves too. What does it mean to a black man, not every black man, because we know a lot of enlightened black men. Um, we have them in our families. We run into them. But some black men, just like white men, are really 
intimidated by strong black women who mm-hmm. know their stuff, who come prepared, who will not take no for an answer, who can get into a, like my mom would say, you know, tit for tat type situation and not be daunted, are confident in their own power and confident in who they are and are not necessarily looking to take a back seat to someone just because they're a man or just because, you know, so I think we need to take real looks at ourselves Mm -hmm. because that sexism that definitely exists in the larger cultures certainly exists in our own, you know? Uh, And that's, that's real. You know, it's fine to get behind Barack because I've heard people say to me, well, she's not ready. Okay. But I've heard that a lot. I've, you know, she's yeah, not ready. I've heard, I've heard she's not I, ready. I was a like, lot. so what? Yeah. So let's just let's unpack that for a second. When Barack ran, he had been a state senator and he had been a senator for all of two years. Mm-hmm. And people got behind him. There was no, he's not ready. It's not. So, you know, Kamala, who has been a senator, right? Before she was a senator, she was district attorney. You know what I mean? Of a city. Then she was just, then she was the attorney general for the state of California. She's had quite a bit of experience. Mm. I would say considerably more experience than Barack had at the time when he ran. So when I hear people say that, especially black people, I say, well, what makes her different from Barack? Mm. Well, that it's, she also, I mean, her job by definition gave her a dirty record with people of color, like not for, because it was her fault. She's a prosecutor. So that's, I think, what people are looking at, too, is her record, where it's like a, the difference is that Barack was a civil or a community organizer and a senator. So his record looks nice because you're always building things. So she's a lawyer and people just have to to realize that, I think. Um, and when they're looking at it, I th- somebody said something very interesting to me last night, and I liked how they framed it. They, th- they said the thing with Kamala is that she, in w- the way they looked at it was when she had to choose, when the options were given to her, it was bad and less bad, right? It's not like there was this great option over here that, you know, set everyone free or, you know, kill everybody. It's like it was bad and less bad. And in most of the record that he looked at, he, she picked the less bad and fought really hard for the less bad of the two scenarios. And in that, I was like, that's a great way to frame it. It's just like, you, you we're like, why didn't you fix things? And it's like, I couldn't. These were the things that I, this is policy. This is legislation. This is court. This is law. It's like, you're given these options. You can't come up with option C off the cuff. And it's like, what can I do that's, you know, makes, does the least damage? in this situation. And she does have a very good record of doing that. So if you look at her through that lens, then absolutely. She's not ready conversation. I don't understand that. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get and that And I mean, I think we have to look at too, is Kamala's coming at the end of the line, right? There's a lot of different factors that have to be in that perfect storm horribleness that allows somebody to be in a situation where they find themselves waiting to hear how their life is going to turn out because they're in front of the criminal justice system, Mm -hmm. right? She didn't put that person there. She didn't make that person do these things. And I'm, you know, 
so or like she's not responsible for the policy that put no, the person that didn't they weren't educated no, that did it like all right, the stuff the, down the, the line or the it's parents like, I'm the prosecutor. or the less you know the parents that weren't able to be there for them or the poverty that they found themselves in or the lack of educational resource i mean that's not kamala She's at the end of the line. She's like, once all these perfect storm things happen, and we can acknowledge that certainly for African-Americans and people of color, that perfect storm is more of a regular thing than it would be for other people. I think what needs to be communicated to folks, though, is I think the concern is whenever people hear anything about the prison or the justice system, knowing that so many are either wrongly accused or set up or whatever, and it's this real inactive pipeline pushing people that way, that she needs to 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 assure people that yes that was her job as a prosecutor but now in policy i'm going to i know these people i know what led them here and i'm going to make policy to make sure that i'm not getting this many of us here that the next prosecutor doesn't get us at the end of the, and she the, does, the rope. And she does yeah. speak to that often. She, but I, I, mean, think, I don't think she's doing anything wrong. Yeah, I, I think, haven't seen anything that she's I really done wrong. No, they she, just keep digging stuff at her and like throwing it at her. And I thank her. I mean, that bar um, when they had... What's, I oh, keep yes. calling him Roseanne Barr because he no. looks just like John Goodman. Uh, Attorney General Barr. Yeah, yes. thank you. Attorney General Barr, when they had that, that like if it wasn't for her... Yeah. No, but like that was the most beautiful. It was like, yes, thank you. Thank you. We needed you up there, right. Miss 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 Champion, superhero attorney. We needed that. So is there anything that you had wanted to say about the film? Just that, you know, we're still in process. That, you know, I think it's a making a film is a journey. Mm -hmm. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We are in a place where we've shot probably for about 15 days and we need to shoot for 10 more so oh there's more shooting to be yeah, done yeah there's a little uh, bit more shooting to get to our act three okay. um oh yes and you know we're, we're actively fundraising so we're talking to people and i mean really we've gotten as far as we've gotten we were, we're obviously applying for grants as well mm -hmm. but we've gotten as far as we've gotten because mostly i mean i have a few men donors but I would say 90% of the women or 90% of the people that have donated so far, um, you know, are women. And so we're actively seeking uh, donations. We're on a fundraising campaign that will take us through the end of June that will help us to get done with shooting and that will help us to put together a a, a, a more polished tease, like a, like a 15-minute tease. What you saw was about eight. Mm -hmm. And will help us to put together an assemble cut of the film, which will allow us to be in a position to seek post-production funding and just that time is of the essence for us because this film has a short shelf life we yeah. need to be done with it or be in a place where we are past the rough cut into the fine cut stage by the end of the summer so we're on the grind and we're looking for people that want to get on board with run like a girl and how can they contact you they can contact me at my email address at um Info at runlikeagirl.com. And it's uh, run, R-U-N, like, G-U-R-L.com. Yeah. Yep. And to donate, do you guys have, uh, we have we like have, a donate link or anything? We do have a donate link on our on our website, www.runlikeagirl.com. And for those that are looking to donate at a at sort of a more higher level, we also have a fiscal sponsor. And mm. so... Um, you know, that could provide tax incentives for those who want, would like to donate at a and higher And for those that would like to do that, they should contact you at the yes. info at runlikeagirlgurl.com. Yes. Cool. Okay, so I had a question. Um, 
one of the things I found interesting, interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had uh, women Republican candidates also in your film as well, right? It was it was across the spectrum. So my question is, um, I'm curious to know without giving too much away about like the film, obviously, uh, what was some of their perspectives considering like most people view their party as being less inclusive and not being anywhere near as representative, especially racially and gender wise? Um, of having elected officials. So I'm kind of curious to know if they had any sort of different responses for how they were able to get into the positions or what it was like running their campaigns versus uh, versus Democrats. Sure. One of our main characters was a woman by the name of Jenea Butler who was running for Congress in Harlem. And she's actually an African-American woman. And so she really talked about the duality of trying to connect with um, the African-American community while still maintaining her, what she sees as Republican values. We got into a discussion with her about the loyalty that African-Americans have had over the years to the Democratic Party and mm-hmm. what they are actually getting in terms of that loyalty. Janae is someone who is looking to build a third party around the idea of economic empowerment and educational development and that type of thing. She has connections to the hip hop community. And so she's looking to bring in that type of thing. And so for her, that's, that's thing for the women that we met on the ground, I think who went into our confessional booth, Mm -hmm. I think they were looking at their perspective is different. They don't see their issues. What they gain from somebody in the white house being a Republican is worse than what they lose. So for a lot of them, it's about um, reproductive health and the abortion issue. It's about judges um, and getting judges on the court, not just the Supreme Court, but the federal court, you know. Um, So for them, that's primary, I guess, in terms of not the only thing that they're thinking about, but for them, there's a even if they're not completely in favor of the candidate, they're willing to sacrifice that because that's something that's super important to them. What do you think the Democrats are going to do differently? Because we're not, I think that's where we've lost our confidence as, as folks. I don't know about you guys, but I've lost my confidence in the Democratic Party. And you just mentioned Janelle starting a, trying to start a third party. I wonder if that's ever, like, even in our near future, if we're going to see that. Are we that fed up with the Democratic Party that more and more people are trying to come up with third party or other parties, I should say? Because there are others. Right, there's others. Um, I think we're in this weird space. I think there's a lot of people that are still shell-shocked from 2016. And because they're shell-shocked from 2016, they're willing to do whatever they think is necessary to, to change that that scenario i think that i think that what we are trying to do different or what democrats are trying to do differently now is they recognize although they've always kind of recognized but i feel like they haven't purposefully um tried to engage people that live outside of the big cities and so i think because a lot of a lot of the United States is rural Mm -hmm. and a lot of them don't live in big cities. And I know that even from just looking at my experience in 2016, I mean, the 
sort of the strategy was in Pennsylvania, just run the totals up in places like Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania, in, uh, Philly, and that would overcompensate for everything else. Well, that was the strategy that had worked for years and years. I don't know if that's a strategy that works now. Yeah. So I think that you have a situation where whoever the Democratic nominee is, is going to have to walk and chew gum. They're going to have to appeal to that lunch pail, elusive, you know, Reagan-y Democrat who voted for Barack twice but went to Trump. But they're also going to have to be able to appeal to some part of the special interest because history has shown us that where black women go, the party goes. So, you know, I mean, you look at people like Doug Jones coming out of Alabama. I mean, it's historic win, right? Mm -hmm. It's historic because black women mobilized and for a big part of the reason why you said we can't we can't afford to be yeah. like lackadaisical about what's going to happen if people get into yeah. power. For us, for our men, yeah. for our sons. For, for our family. And for I think, populations of men that aren't allowed to vote correct. anymore. <laughs> and I think that's what a large part of black women voting, because usually you're not voting just for yourself. You're taking your sororities, you're taking your church people, you're taking your husband, you're making sure your kids are... It's yep. a community thing, and it's not just casual. It's intentional. So I think, and you know, when you look at, you know, a lot of people talk about Bernie in 2016. What people don't realize is the, the distance between Bernie and Hillary was nowhere near the distance between Hillary and Barack. That's why you had Hillary and Barack going into places like Puerto Rico in June in the primaries, because every vote did count. The gap between Hillary and Bernie was so wide, there was no way he could catch up. And even now, he's at the top, but he's struggling because he and candidates like Buttigieg are, for whatever reason, and they may change this, or maybe they don't think they have to, but they will not win if they do not connect with African-American women voters. Yeah. And so I think that, I think the Democratic Party, what's different now, maybe they kind of thought, but they saw what happened in Alabama. They see what happens when black women mobilize. And I think, yes, they are paying attention to women, but I definitely think they're paying attention to African-American women in a way that they never have before at the same time that they're trying to cater or bring back in that, you know, rural white male uh, voter. I have, I have a comment, then I'm going to ask a question. Um, are you guys kind of familiar? Have you guys ever heard of ranked choice voting? No. What's mm -hmm. that? What is it? Because it's to me, it's like one of the things that uh, I think one of the things that kind of gets slept on in terms of why we're all so unhappy with like the candidates, regardless of party, um, is because like our voting, not just like a, like I'm very big on a proponents of like voting rights, but our, actually how we vote is so antiquated. Um, so ranked choice voting, like I think of 10 states have adopted it for like their gubernatorial races. Um, but ranked choice voting basically works where instead of voting for one candidate, you actually get to rank about three or four candidates oh, and what happens nice. is if someone if the number if what happens is if someone doesn't get initially 51 percent of the vote then the other than their second choices get factored into the count oh. so so what essentially what that does is that it it stops a lot of mudslinging from happening because then you it forces the candidates to try to appeal to everybody and it also forces them to not oh. to not disparage people 
their other candidates as much either. It's a, and every pretty much every state that's adopted it because I believe I'm not sure when the first state adopted it and certain like also some some like local towns have adopted it too and whatnot. Um, but I think that could be the one thing that would really change politics like on its head because I feel like we should adopt some form of that for that's actually really interesting for, yeah, yeah. even with voter suppression you don't want to suppress the vote if you need everyone to vote yeah exactly. you need everybody yeah, yeah. that yeah. yeah that yeah yeah and there are other ideas out like there like out that too but i'd probably say that's that's something that i'm a major proponent of mm-hmm. and i think there are other ideas out there like that too but i think that something like that would really change because mm. i because i think we we i feel like a lot of us we we go back and forth a lot about um you know reasons why people lost for x y and z reason but when you think about it for example hillary lost because she didn't win three states but she won the popular vote by by like a million i can't remember like three million three million votes right (laughs) she won you know there's something that's wrong that there's something it's fundamentally wrong with the way we elect the president there's something that's fundamentally wrong with that and it's not just fundamentally wrong with that on the presidential level it's fundamentally wrong with that on you know, most of the governor's races, it's fundamentally wrong with that with mayoral races. I mean, if you think about it, there's, you know, at the end of the day, you're elect the people that you elect are supposed to be representative of who voted, you know, at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And to me, that 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 result seems to get to a more democratic result. So that's just like something I wanted to throw in there. But I had a question for you. Um, uh, I have a question for you, because like the one thing that I hope doesn't happen with I'm so pleased with the amount of women that are now become running for office that have become elected officials i'm quite pleased to see what happened with the house of representatives in 2018 um my question for you is what do you think is necessary in order to sustain that and not have this be a flash in the pan where we don't happen to be like revert back to what happened what how things have been for you know you know hundreds of years (laughs) i think real change has to happen and i think it already is happening I think legislative change has to happen because once people see that it's possible to have women representing them and to still have the things that they want happen or that they gain better ways of life or that they secure health care for their children, for their parents, for themselves, uh, I'm just using that as an issue. I mean, I think then people will be involved. I think what keeps us going, and I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Selma, is like, out of something really horrible comes that fire in the belly. You know, I think we're at a place now where people find that it's dangerous to be complacent. So we can't ever go back to a situation where we're just like, it's going to happen, you know, it's going to happen. So even if I don't do anything, it's going to happen. We have to always be living, I hate to say it, on the edge of if I don't act, then who will? Mm -hmm. And if I don't act, then what happens? Right then. If I don't act, then who will? I don't know. Does that answer your question? No, it does. Okay. <laughs> very, very much so. It does. I think the the you are what you eat applies very much here too. Like with all of these women in places where now my sons and my nieces and everybody are looking at this television screen and watching these women speak, it becomes something that you can be. The same way that I said, like, the fact that my children were born into a Barack Obama presidency and travel back to the continent all the time, they don't think it's odd to see black presidents. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not something weird to them. To them, it's like, that's an option if I wanted to be president. 
Like, it, it's not strange. And for little girls and little boys to grow up and see women in power, in political power, it's gonna, these kids are going to be completely different human beings than what we saw where everybody had to look like Reagan and, you know, plasticky white man kind of imagery where you thought, like, you know, the only people that are allowed to run this country are white men. Like, we have no place there. We have place there now, you know? So that's... that's it, we have power in who we vote for for like what we want our children to be when they grow up. Like that's mm -hmm. that's massive, you know. Um, so that's our show. Biggest thank you to our dope guest, Melanie Williams Orm. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you for having me. Um, all the links and handles you need, including donation and uh, information, more information about your film, um, are available in the show notes and on thebrownceo.com. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, The Brown Crayon Project, and to our family here at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. We want to hear from you. Keep the conversation going. Tell us what you think. Talk to us on Twitter at The Brown CEO. Subscribe and review our podcast on iTunes or go to thebrownceo.com.